you know, I had a guy look at me and he goes, look, Dave, I'm going to tell you this just one time, but you never, ever, ever have to feel as shitty as you do right now. And I don't know why, but that hit me like a ton of bricks. Because when I came back the next day, he was right. I felt a little bit better. And I think that's what hope does. Right. Hope goes, okay, you went a day, you went two days, you went a week. Guess what? This is working. Yeah. Success leaves clues. You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is, you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at karengoldfingerbaker.com. What I love about this conversation is that it's packed with truth, depth, growth, compassion, self-compassion, excitement, intrigue, and fantastic stories told by the masterful, inspirational, delightful Dave Albin. Dave is a story of all things from chaos to violence to wild success. He's the number one firewalk instructor. Having worked for Tony Robbins for almost 20 years, Dave has firewalked hundreds of thousands of people. I love this conversation. You will too. And it's all right here, right now, in the Trauma Hiders Club. Dave, I'm so glad you're here. This is already great fun. Thanks. My pleasure. <laughs> Something I know about you and Firewalk Adventures. Um, when we first talked, when we first had our little meet and greet, yeah. was your connection to Tony Robbins and firewalking and all of that. And something I remember saying to you is, with all due respect, I think you're more interesting than your association with Tony Robbins. Yes, I, I do. Know, do you remember that? I, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And not that I don't think that's interesting, um, but knowing what I know about humans, knowing what I know about me, there's a reason why people gravitate toward someone like Tony Robbins or any personal growth personality or book or movie or whatever the yes. thing is, right? Yes, yes. And because typically we're looking for something, there's something in us that we're hoping to support or fix or <laughs> whatever the hell we want to call it. So, yeah, exactly. so my question for you, I'm going to take you back to before you met Tony Robbins. I'm going to take you way back. Okay. And maybe it's because I'm about to turn 60 or the loss of my mother or the Barbie movie came out or I don't even know. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about childhood. And I have a theory that who we are when we're very young uh, is who we really are, who we truly are, uh, okay. because there aren't any rules. So we get to be fully expressed, fully who we are and really young. I'm talking like before we go to school. So four, maybe five, if, you know, as we enter kindergarten, because once you're in kindergarten, you got to sit it, sit it on the line, you know, all those things. So let's go back to when you were let's say three, what, if we were to have live streaming video of you having the best day and it's summer, what would we see you doing or being? Well, that's a toughie at three. Um, because at three, I was living in a one bedroom apartment with two half brothers, a cousin, a grandmother, and a biological mother. Mm. and the 
challenging part then is that my biological mother was at that time a server at the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood. Mm. Now, to set the stage for mom, she's Rosie the Riveter. Mm. She grew up during the Depression. She was one of six kids. She was the youngest. And, you know, again, my, my parents were the ones that saved the world, literally, because my dad was in Europe fighting the Nazis. Mm. And my best friend's father was in Pearl Harbor mm. fighting the Japanese mm. while all the women of that time were home doing everything other than the nurses, uh, for the most part, that were deployed during the war. So again, my mom, Rosie the Riveter, that, that was a name they created, right. Um, right? Because my mom was working at McDonnell Douglas building airplanes. Yeah, and so that was common for women to be doing those kinds of jobs. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a there's an advertisement somewhere where there's there's a woman standing there and she's got a bandana around her head and she's holding her arm up and she's got some guns right and that's that was the strong p part of America showing how strong women were how strong America was. So that moment, though, in my life that you ask at three, I was in an environment where there was it was a little chaotic. Yeah. We didn't know what was going on. There was a lot of uncertainty. Mom was doing the best she could. She knew how to fight. Mm -hmm. She knew how to work hard. Um, she just wasn't making it as a server. Mm. Now, her sister, one of the sisters was an actress. In Hollywood, my Aunt Jo. Jo was pretty well known in Hollywood. She had played in The Grapes of Wrath. She had played in quite a few things. The cousin that was living with us in that apartment was my Aunt Jo's daughter. And so Aunt Jo was a full-blown alcoholic. Mm. And so she was dancing with alcohol, and the dance wasn't going well. Mm -hmm. um, in fact... The last time I was in Queen of Angels Hospital, where I was born, I was there to go see my Aunt Jo. And this beautiful, stunning, gorgeous woman had been reduced to nothing because she was dying of cirrhosis of the liver. And that is a very, very ugly thing to see. It's an ugly thing to smell because the body's rotting from the inside out, the liver. Um, and again, this beautiful, gorgeous woman had been reduced to, you know, this the, the color of the skin is very red and yellow, and it's just, it's very ugly. And of course, she had lost a lot of weight. She was probably, you know, around 90 pounds or under, something like that. Um, so there was there was a lot of turmoil going on within the family. And that's probably around the time, around three, three where my mom was starting to try to think about, what am I going to do with David? I can't feed him. I got two other boys too. And that's when I, I think she there might have been the thought of, you know, putting them up for adoption. Now, to look for something. I used to remember that my grandmother, I used to lay in this couch. I can kind of visually see it, a real small area, and uh, she would scratch my back. And I remember that felt so good. And I loved, and so I was, I, I petitioned for that all the time. If I could get anybody to scratch my back, uh, uh, you know, my grandmother or my mom or, or my cousin, even my cousin Didi, who was, you know, six years older than I was at that time. Um, so that's kind of, you know, the memories yeah. that I really have from yeah, that. That is something that is something in that, in that chaotic house that was right. There was some attention yes. paid to you. There was. Yeah. That uh, was absolutely. right. There was some yep. love bestowed upon you. There was some um, touch. Now yeah. the boys weren't so much. Yeah. My two half brothers were not, they weren't quite as, uh, kind, I'll just leave it like that. Mm-hmm. And they were older. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Much older. Yeah. So by the time when I got to five, that's when mom said, I got to do the loving thing here. And that's when she put me up for adoption. And then her sister, the oldest of all the kids, um, her older sister, Pat, um, she had, they adopted me, her and Bob, her husband, Bob, uh, okay. Bob Alvin, right? Hence my last name, Dave Alvin. Yeah. And that's when they moved me from Hollywood to Long Beach, California. Bob Albin was 
uh, uh, decorated. He was a uh, career military, mm. Army, National Guard officer, highly decorated in World War II, and then again made a career. So he was um, working, you know, regular Army and uh, the National Guard as well. Mm. Um, How was that? And it, it moving I mean, into that house. I mean, uh, originally when I first got there, it was wonderful. They swore off drinking the day they adopted me. Oh, and so, so they I, had I been in, drinking. Yeah, I came into a sober house, you know, kind of, you know, at least there was no alcohol being consumed. But they, they, you know, they loved me. They mm. did. They took me camping. Uh, I, I think we went to Yosemite twice. Uh, we went to Big Bear all the time. We went to Lake Arrowhead. We went to Lake Havasu. I mean, so we had like a trailer, a little, um, it was, I think it was a Zippo type trailer. Um, and it had it had pumping water inside of it. And, uh, you know, it had beds and it had a heater and it had a little stove in it. Um, and they pulled that with a 57 Chevy station wagon. <laughs> and uh, But it was so fun. I remember, you know, uh, going to Yosemite. Yeah. Uh, was was just back in those days when you went to Yosemite, there was a thing called the firefalls. Mm. And and what they did is they started this huge fire on a Friday at El Capitan. And then at around nine o'clock at night, when it got dark, bulldozers pushed this giant fire off the cliff and it looked like a waterfall of fire. Go Google it. Oh. It's And I got to see it live. So it was spectacular. Um and so, you know, that's, you know, we went out to dinner a lot. You know, Bob was an officer, so there was yeah, money. Right. That was a professional homemaker. My mom, Pat Albin, was a pro. She came out of the Depression. She knew how to do everything. She knew how to make everything from scratch. Wow. She, you know, she and Pat was very, very disciplined in what she taught me. This this boy right here can sew. He knows how to do laundry. He knows how to fold it. He knows how to iron. I know how to cook. I know how to clean. Um, I, I learned all that. I know what it's like to get into a bed with clean sheets that have been dried outside. Nice. Oh, yeah. you, you know what? It's so sad that so many people have never experienced that. Yeah. There's nothing like it. It's when like sleeping sheets, with sunshine. It's You are. Absolutely. Yeah. And the wind. Yeah. Uh, and an occasional bird poop once in a while. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that just adds to the ambiance. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, but literally, it just, it smells, It's I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, yeah. uh, but it's a really, really magical experience. I can and tell you that. Did they ha also have kids? No. Oh, so you Only were- Only child. That was you. Grand slam home run, baby. Wow. At Christmas time, all I had to do is go, yep. Most of those over there under the tree are mine. <laughs> wow. And, and so I loved being, you know, an only child. I really did. Um, now, my older cousin, Dee Dee, that one that was in the apartment with me uh, uh, back in the day, she had actually ended up coming to uh, live with us after her mom, uh, you know, our Aunt Joe died and and she couldn't live with my grandmother anymore. It was just she was way she would tell you she was way too much for my grandmother. Uh, and she lived with us while she was going to high school. So, mm. but that was okay. I was still kind of an only child, you know, at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. So. She was older than you and you were right. still, yeah. And and then the only other part of that though, was that, you know, two months before I was born, my biological father, who was a pilot in Korea, he, something happened to him and we don't know, Karen, what happened. We just know that he hit his head and to save his life, they put a plate in his head. And so it saved his life, but it also took his life. Um, he, he complained about the pain all the time to my biological mother. And two months before I was born, he said, Hey, I'm going to the grocery store. And we never saw her from him again. Oh, wow. Right. So I have no, I have no recollection of dad, nothing. Mm. I don't, you know, I don't know what he looked. I mean, he could knock at my door right now and I wouldn't know what he looks like. And so um, does anyone know nope. what happened? Nothing. I mean, you know, I've had bits and pieces. Uh, when my biological mother got into her final year, she was living in a truck trailer um, uh, in a mobile home park in Bellflower, California, and she got in a bad way. So we were living, uh, my family and I, we were on a nice, beautiful farm in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, and we brought mom there for her final days. Mm -hmm. And when we moved all her stuff in after she passed, we were going through everything, and there was a book on pilots in Korea. And when mm -hmm. I saw that book, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to see my dad, a picture of him, right? And we went through that book with a fine tooth comb and did not find him. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we had his name on my certificate of live birth. So we knew his name. And again, we went through that book, uh, my, you know, we, uh, what felt like a million times and we never found him. Mm. Um, though, you know, and the thing about that is, I think I made a really good decision when it came to my dad, my biological father. And that was, you know, he did the best he could. Yeah. And I don't yeah. blame, uh, yeah. you know, I, I was at peace with that. I, yeah. I, I've, I've, I've been with peace with that for a long time. Um, and, you know, a couple of years ago, um, I'm out to dinner with my son here in Boone, North Carolina. And we were at Mike's Seafood and, and uh, I'm sitting there and we're just kind of talking, hanging out. And all of a sudden I look up and I look at my son and I go, oh my gosh, look who I'm having dinner with. I'm having dinner with my dad's grandson. How about that? I, right. Isn't that bizarre how that yeah. thought came in? But I'm like, yeah. I can see him. Right. Karen, I can see my dad in my grandson or in yeah. my son, his grandson. And, and I think that happened to me because I did make peace. Yeah. And I and I remained open and, and you know, and again, man, forgiveness is such a powerful thing. It sure is. And so is resentment. So you better be careful which one you decide you want to participate with, because one yes. of them will kick your butt and the other one will set you free. That's right. Uh, and so yeah, so that was a really magical moment when I that's really cool. I love happened. that. It was. It was really cool. I love that perspective. So nice. Yeah. So you're living okay, let's go back. I know that there was a point in your life where all this was good living, you know, you're living yep. at the Albans. Yep. And at some point, I don't know, I don't, are you a teenager when I'm 11, you're 11. What happens? Yep. Um, first day of summer, 1964. Now let's, let's remember my dad's military. Um, we're coming through the Bay of Pigs, all the mm-hmm. missiles in Cuba the missile crisis. Kennedy had just been assassinated in November of 63. And this is the summer of 64. First day of summer. My mom comes in, Pat comes in and goes, hey, David, come to the kitchen. Your dad and I want to speak to you. And I go in, we sit down. My mom puts her hand on my arm and she looks at me with tears in her eyes. And she said, David, we need to tell you something. And she proceeded to tell me that they weren't my parents. Okay. Well, what does that mean at 11 years old? How do you even process that? You don't. And then, then, you know, we're kind of talking and she says, as a matter of fact, you know, your aunt Dean, of course. Yes, of course. Well, she's actually your, your biological mother. Mm. And I, I remember thinking when she said that, I'm like, I don't even like her. <laughs> and the reason I didn't like her, so to speak, is not that I didn't like her. She just annoyed me mm. because every time she was around me, she wanted to touch me and uh. hang out and hug me and kiss me and hold me. Well, duh. Right. I'm her son. Right. But I don't know that. Yeah. Right. So it was, it was annoying Yeah. and she was somewhat manic. So she was very uppity and happy and laughing and all that. And so too much. It, yeah. Right. So for me, it was like, okay, how long is she going to be staying? <laughs> when is she going home? And so that's, you know, that was the first day of summer, 1964. Mm. And then shortly after that happened, both Bob and Pat started drinking again. And that's when my life took a hard right turn. What do you think brought that on? Was it, I don't All know. All the chaos I, you know, of the world? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of everything. You know, them having to tell me that they're not my parents and me dealing with that. And, well, you know, there was a lot of pressure. Have to t- why'd they have to tell you? I, well, good question. Okay. I mean, I guess at some point you you want to tell them. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. And, okay. and when do you, right. And when do you decide to do that? Yeah. 11, 12, 16, 22? Right. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. Right. I don't either. I yeah. have no idea. I just know that that's when they chose to tell me. Okay. Yeah. Maybe uh, it was the Kennedy. You know, it could be because Bob was under a lot of pressure. He was also working in the Pentagon and, um, you know, we were real close to going to nuclear war and he knew that he knew a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And so there was a lot of pressure with that. And then Kennedy was assassinated and they were a big fan of Kennedy. And, um, and now we're coming into 64 and they wanted to tell me and they did. And so I think it just kind of stacked on top of itself and yeah. it was, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little pressure. Let me have a shot of brandy. Yep. And then once you do that, if you've got alcoholic tendencies, yeah. you know, off we, off we are to the races. That's right. And that's, and that's what happened. Yeah. And then they went to the grocery store one day. And, and I'm, you know, I'm like, what, what's going on? What, well, you're not my parents. Now you're drinking this stuff. You know, Bob would turn into an absolute jerk. And I, I'm being really kind there. He was not a nice human when he was drinking alcohol. Pat was a little better. She wasn't as violent and mean. And I think she was just drinking to keep up with Bob. Um, and so they went to the store one day, right? 
Yeah, back in the 60s, you could do that, right? Yeah. You could leave your kids home. You didn't have to worry about it. Right. Uh, you call the neighbor across the street and say, hey, Joanne, Bob and I are going to the grocery store. David's home. If he needs anything, just come over, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Tell him to come over now. I'll fix him a, you know, a, a cheese and bologna sandwich or whatever, right? Uh, fried bologna sandwiches. And so uh, they left. And I they, they were hiding the booze in plain sight. I knew where it was. And as soon as they left, I went and grabbed it. And I'm looking at it like, what is this stuff? Because that's I'm I'm tying it together. Because when they drink that, I know what's going to happen. You know, they, their whole personality starts to change. And so I, just out of curiosity, poured it in a coffee cup about half full mm. and downed it. And, uh, I, you know, stick a fork in me. I was done right there. Yeah. I never had a chance, Karen. None. Yeah. Right. Did you continue just, drinking? Oh yeah, I was I was an alcoholic right on the spot. Right there. If you if you if you take the definition of alcoholism, yeah, uh, I, I was I was your poster boy for it. Um, simply because you know I wanted I wanted to drink again. I was mm. willing to steal it. I was willing to hide it. You know, I mean, there I was, mm. and you know there was a lot going on in the house, and so okay. If it relieves the pressure with them, it, maybe it's going to relieve the pressure with me. I don't know. I yeah. just know that I drank it and I liked it. I felt. Like, you know, I was on top of the world. I could handle anything. And that just escalated. And then the next thing you know, you're doing drugs. Next thing you know, you're doing hard drugs. And then you're in junior high school. And then you're and then you're in high school, your junior year. The beginning of my junior year, they, they pulled me in the principal's office and said, Alvin, you're out of here. Mm. So out the door I went. And so I was pretty uh, entrepreneurial driven. I had a paper route when I was young. I worked at the golf course. I rode my bicycle around the golf course, found golf balls, would sell them to the golfers in the in the parking lot. Um, I sold flowers on the street corner. My pat would help. She had a green thumb. She was amazing. Um, and so she would help organize and I'd sell them out there on the street corner. Again, I had a paper route. So I knew there was money out there. Just go hustle and find it. And so as soon as I got kicked out of high school, I went and got a job that day. I got a job in the biggest grocery store in the state of California at 16, basically, 17. And uh, I went into what's called the retail clerks union. And within a short amount of time, I was making, I think, $8.09 an hour after a year. Now, this is in 1971. So eight bucks an hour uh, is a lot of money back then. Yeah. You know, and what were you like, doing with the money? <laughs> you know, <laughs> probably what you think I was doing with the money. Yeah. I mean, I bought a nice car. I bought a, I bought a beautiful uh, 1971 yellow Mach 1 Mustang. Love it. Um, I moved out on my own. I had a really beautiful apartment in Belmont Shore, California. Um, and of course, I could pretty much buy any drug that I wanted. Yeah. <clears throat> so I was living a pretty crazy lifestyle uh, for for a long time there. And, you know, got married and, and got divorced and got married again and got divorced and um, got married to my third wife and got divorced. But on my third marriage, that's when I, on June 8th of 1988, that's when I woke up that morning and I said, that's it. We're all done here. We're not doing this anymore. It stops today. What yeah, was boys that? and girls, we're done, what? right? I'm just, I'm a wreck. I'm, I'm, I'm so, I, you know, uh, alcohol and drug had, had just tore me inside now. I, I, you know, the emotional and the physical pain was overwhelming. And I, and I don't know, that was threshold that day. I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm not doing hmm. it anymore. I can't deal with this pain. I'm not doing this. And so that's the first thought was put a bullet in your head. Hmm. Well, thank goodness I was married to a woman who had three kids and it was my stepkids. And I remember thinking, dude, you can't do that. You kill, you're killing those kids too. That's going to, you're dead and they got to live with it. That's wrong. You can't do that. So find another way. Don't be such a wuss. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm having hardcore conversations with myself with a pistol in my hand and it's loaded. Mm. I put it in my mouth twice. Mm. So I was as close as you could probably get. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I had this thought, well, why don't you call Alcoholics Anonymous? And you know what's interesting about that, Karen? I didn't know who AA was. No. I had no it, idea. I had no references. I didn't know anybody in AA. No. I'd never been to AA. And yet there's the thought, call Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, where'd that thought come from? Yeah. I think if you'd known, you wouldn't have called them because then you would have you known know it's hard. That's a really interesting comment. Distinction. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're probably right. Yeah. I'd never that's even hard thought work. about that. Yeah. Wow. 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 I'd never even thought about that. Yeah. Well, thank God so, you didn't. Well, I did though, right? So yeah. goodness, right? And and I called and I got this wonderful lady on the phone and I've nicknamed her Madge over the years. Um, and I did because Madge, she talked like this mm. and she smoked three packs of Paul Ball non-filters a day. 
<laughs> but she so, wasn't drinking and, anymore. <laughs> and she and she was as crusty as she sounded. She was brutal. She was in my face. She was like, "Are you serious? Do you want to get sober?" You know, because she's the gatekeeper. Yeah. Right? She's the one who makes the decision and pulls the trigger on calling somebody to come get you. And she did. Obviously, I gave her enough information where she said, yeah, let's go pick this kid up. Yeah. And and this guy named Lauren showed up, you know, an hour or so later, whatever it was. And he took me to my first AA meeting in Fairfax, Virginia, to the Stepping Stones group of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was an all men's group. I got there for the 1230 meeting and Lauren stayed with me for a 430 a 6.30 and an 8.30 meeting. Wow. That man stayed there all day with me, didn't know me from Adam, and loved me because it was obviously that I couldn't love myself in that yeah. moment. Yeah. And, then they, and then while I'm there, they they took a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the men signed it. And mm. with the, what it said in the book, you open the first page and it said, it was a blank page there, and it said, before you take that first drink, call one of us. And every one of them write their first name and their last the, the the initial of their last name. They didn't put their last name, just the initial of their last name. And then they put their telephone number in there. And so they sent me home that night. Mm. Well, at eight o'clock in the morning, the next day, my phone rings and it's John from Alcoholics Anonymous. And he's like, hey, Dave, good morning. How are you feeling? And I'm like, how do you think I'm feeling? I want to kill somebody. And I, and I might start with you, John, calling me so early. And he's like, he's a real playful guy. He's like, yeah, 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 Dave, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. okay, sure. Anyway, hey, listen, let's do this. I'm going to come pick you up. Let's go to breakfast. And I'm going to take you to a meeting. I went, okay. <laughs> you know, completely submissive. Yeah. I'm completely, yeah, okay. I'll do whatever you tell me to do, John, because you know what? I got a big dose of AA last night, and I really liked it. And I saw men that were happy, joyous, and free, and they cared about a perfect stranger, which nice. didn't happen in my life. Right. So John took me to, he stayed with me that day. And, uh, you know, a couple of days turned into a week and a week turned into a month. And then at, at the month, I got this little chip. Yeah. Yeah. It said 30 days on it, one month. Then I got one for two months, three months, six months, nine months, and one year. And then here back on June 8th, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I picked up one for 35 years. Wow. Congratulations. That's Thank you. That Thank you. I appreciate. I do. I appreciate it. People always say congratulations. You know, and I have a hard. I, it's it's kind of challenging for me for to accept it. And the reason I say that is because it's like, look, all I did is stop trying to kill myself. I'm not a hero here. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I I I entered a group of 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 people um, who you know are really good at helping other alcoholics achieve sobriety. And they had to be really good with me because I was grossly addicted to heroin and cocaine and alcohol. And, you know, I was smoking like a chimney, chocolate chip cookies. I mean, are you kidding? I was addicted to anything where, you know, I was trying to avoid pain or gain pleasure. And that's, yeah. you know, that's kind of why we drink, right? Or at least that's right. what we tell ourselves. And then one day that goes away. Right. You're not going to avoid any pain anymore. And you're certainly not going to get any pleasure out of it. Yeah. So, you know, alcohol abandons you eventually, <laughs> you know. You know, it, yeah. I say congratulations because I know what it is to be in resistance. That is not a small thing. You could have said, fuck it. Every fucking day you could have said, fuck it. I did say, fuck it every fucking day. What I didn't do is pick up a drink. Right. Oh, I screamed. I yelled. I carried on. I acted out. I was pissed. I was angry. Fuck you, people. Fuck it. Yeah. Fuck everything. Yeah. But you know what? But I'm still not. I'm not going to drink today. Yeah. You know, today that's one thing I ain't going to do. One day at a time. And yeah. I held on to that man. That made a lot of sense to me. Yep. Because I could. You know, could I could not drink for you know an hour. Uh, in the beginning. Okay. Just one hour at a time. And then it was, you know, one, one day at a time. And then mm. once I understand it was as simple as one day at a time, that really broke it down for me. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then of course, you know, you start working the steps and you get a sponsor and you start helping out an AA and you start giving back. And so, you know, you completely interrupt all your old patterns and start installing new ones. And when that happens, then the change really comes. You know, I had a guy look at me and he goes, look, Dave, I'm going to tell you this just one time, but you never, ever, ever have to feel as shitty as you do right now. And I don't know why, but that hit me like a ton of bricks. Because mm. when I came back the next day, he was right. I felt a little bit better. And I think that's what hope does. Right. Hope goes, okay, 
You went a day, you went two days, you went a week. Guess what? This is working. Yeah. Success leaves clues, right? Yes. So yeah, it was and it was working for me. Yeah. And then what happened with the recovery part, right? You start working the steps and doing all this. Well, I was I had insomnia, so my sleep patterns were all over the place. And I'm up late one night, three o'clock in the morning, can't sleep. And there I am watching an infomercial. Uh, Gunthy Ranker, Mr. Motivational, young motivational man himself, Tony Robbins, a young Tony Robbins is, you know, up doing his thing at three o'clock in the morning selling a program called Personal Power. And he called it a a 30 day program for total success. And um, and I, I did not like him. He was all motivated and shit. And I'm like, what an asshole, you know, because I wasn't motivated. I wasn't happy. I wasn't feeling anything of what he felt. But he said a couple of things that got me. The first thing he said was, we'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I went, well, damn, ain't that the truth? Yeah. All right. Well, maybe I need to listen to this guy a little longer. And then what, he, what really got me, he said, you know, the driving force in our life where we make decisions is from inspiration or desperation. Mm. And I went, Oh dude, I'm desperate. (laughs) And so I bought his program. I put it on my American express card. They sent me to him. It came in a big box and it came on these little white things called cassette tapes. I remember those little white things that you had to to fix with a pencil, fix with a pencil, you know? Oh my God. I got to rerun Creedence Clearwater revival. Right, exactly. Three dog night, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And if you go to the Smithsonian, they're there. They're sitting right next to the to the real <laughs> the, the real tracks, yeah. and the eight tracks, and the four tracks, and the CDs, and all the rest of them. And so, yeah, so I plugged it in. I uh, did what the man taught me to do. It was thirty days, and it worked. Um, and then, you know, one of my buddies in the AI started making a lot of changes. Uh, literally, I started working out. I lost weight. I started my own business. I was getting out of a bad marriage. And, you know, she was still drinking and I knew that wasn't going to work. I couldn't be around it. I had to be away from it hundred percent. So you got to do what you got to do to stay silver. You got to change your play places, your play things and your play friends. Yeah. And that play friend was a wife and that wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's kind of how that started playing out. And so my buddy in AA looked at me and he goes, man, what's going on with you? You're so motivated. <laughs> you know, you're all cheery and happy and losing weight and you look good. You sound good. You started that new business. You're making money. He's like, man, what's going on? I said, well, honestly, man, I'm listening to this guy by the name of Tony Robbins. And he goes, I know who Tony is. I read his book. I go, yeah, man, dude, I've got his program. If you read his book, listen to his program. I'll bo- Here, borrow it. I'll let you borrow mine, man. Take it. You promise me you'll listen to it and bring it back. I'll let you have it. He said, done. So he did. And he went and looked and he went through it and he loved it. Well, that was in what? Let's see, that would have been in 88, 89. Um, in 1995, he calls me on the phone seven years later and said, Hey, hey, uh, Dave, did you know that Tony Robbins is coming to town? And I said, No, not at all. And he goes, Oh, dude, come on. You've got to go it. with me. Yeah. Let's go see this guy. And I said, Done. I'll go. Absolutely. So we made sure that on our calendar, and I had the opening. He goes, oh, great. He goes, look, man, I'll take care of it. Let me call you back. And so he calls me back like an hour later and he goes, done. We pick up the tickets at will call. And here's what they told us to do. Uh, number one, um, bring snacks because you're going to spend a lot of time in the room. And what an understatement that was. Uh, hydrate, drink a lot of water, bring water with you. Uh, be ready to play full out and bring a good attitude. I said, so Dan, how much was the ticket? He said $695. I said $700? And they don't even give you water or a snack? They don't even give you water or snacks or feed (laughs) you steak and lobster? Um, And so um, I'm like, don't you worry, Dan. You know, I'll I'll play full out for $700. Hell yes. $700. What's that equate to today? $7 million? I mean, I don't even know. So, um, and just as he's getting ready to get off the phone. He goes, oh, wait, I forgot to tell you the best part. We're going to be doing a fire walk. And I remember thinking, oh, hell no. Not a chance. There's no way in hell. You're out of your mind. Now, I'm not saying this is what's going on in my head. It's a hard no. Uh, I'm not doing it. Well, guess what? I don't even know what a fire walk is. Yeah. But I'm saying no to it because that's what fear does to me. It controls my life. Yeah. Because fear, the acronym is Forget everything and run. 
And so I hang up the phone, you know, I was like, yeah, Dan, sure. No problem. I hung up and well, the day comes for the event. And uh, we get there and we get in our seats and there's 3,500 people at this event. And uh, Tony takes the stage at two o'clock in the afternoon. Well, 10 hours later, after midnight sometime, Tony goes, take off your shoes. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh-uh, pal. I know what you're doing. I uh-uh. I see where you're going with that. <laughs> no one's rubbing my feet now. Yeah, right. Unless there's somebody here to give me a massage. Reflexology. Yeah. Nah, we ain't doing that. Well, I'm in a room with 3,500 people. And guess what? They're all taking their shoes off. Uh, and I remember thinking, people, no, 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 don't, don't go towards, you? don't towards, don't go towards the light. Oh my God, no! <laughs> so now I got a dilemma. What am I going to do? They're taking their shoes off. So what am I going to do? Walk out there with my shoes on? You got to. He's going to take you out in this big giant parking lot where the firewalk is. And so if I go out there with my shoes on, everybody's going to know Dave's a coward. We can't have that. So I'm like, shit. All right, all right, all right. Here's what we'll do. Just take your shoes off and just go out there and fake it and just go hide in the back. No one's going to know. No way anybody's going to know. And so, well, it gets a little worse because then Tony goes, he gets everybody chanting and clapping. (laughs) And so, you know, it's like, yes, yes, yes. You know, walking out there. And and then it gets worse, Karen. No. We We get out there. And he's got African drummers. No, he's so good. He's bad. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what a dog and pony show this is. And so I'm like, okay, just get out there. Go hide in the back. Well, when you get out there and you get out into this big parking lot, over in the corner, there's a giant fire. It is huge. It's 40 feet wide, 70 feet long, and it's been burning all day. So they just kept, they kept stacking cords and cords of wood on this big giant pit. Well, it burns all day. And at the end of the night, it renders. Oh, oh and it's, it's just beautiful. This big giant blue flame of, of, of coals. I mean, it is beautiful. Well, to set this up logistically, what, they do was 3,500 people to get them all through. They go take wheelbarrows and they load the coals into wheelbarrows. And then they take those wheelbarrows and they go out into the parking lot and they put two lanes of sod on both sides, a fire lane, which is what? Three feet wide, 18 feet long. And then they just take a flathead shovel into that wheelbarrow, take the coals and sprinkle them on top of that sod. Mm. And that's what you walk on. I see. Well, again, I'm having none of it. I'm hiding in the back. Well, Tony Robbins searched and researched firewalking. It's been around for a thousand years. People have used it, cultures all around the world for a whole host of things. Graduatings, weddings, um, births of children, rite of passage, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Fahitians, the people of India, the Hawaiians, the Polynesians, the Native American Indians, the Indo-Europeans, the Spanish, the people of Portugal, all over the world's been using firewalking. We're just in the West. We don't know much about it other than what Tony Robbins has brought to the table here, right? Well, he knows this is going to be one of the most life-changing experiences you'll ever go through. He knows it. That's why I used it on day one of a four-day event. And so he doesn't want you to miss out. So he trains people to come find guys like Dave Albin who are hiding in the back. Oh, no. Well, he knows, right? And so, and sure enough, there I am. I'm back there thinking I got this all figured out. And all of a sudden, here here he comes. And he makes eye contact with me. And once he made eye contact with me, he kept walking at me. Well, Tony has got to train him. Look, once you make eye contact with these cowards, don't take your eyes off him. And this guy gets about 20 feet from me as he gets closer and closer. And all of a sudden he stops and he looks at me with a really puzzled look on his face. And he kind of turns his head sideways, you know, like a dog when it hears yeah. a funny noise. Right. And he says to me, he goes, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> and when we're not okay, what do we say? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm good. I got yeah. this. Oh, I got this man. N- nothing to see here, pal. Move along. Yep. Keep going. Keep going. 
And all of a sudden he goes, well, hey, man, are you going to walk tonight? And I said, absolutely not. Like, didn't you get the memo? Are you kidding me? I'm not doing that. Well, I said it with a really strong tonality, almost like I was pissed at him. Yeah. And he goes, hey, man, he goes, hey, listen, that's cool. It's okay. We don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. And I went, wow, okay, I like this guy. He's going to get me out of here. And then one stranger, to this day, I don't know who this guy is. I really wish I did because this guy changed my life. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be on the Trauma Hiders Club <laughs> podcast with That's Karen right. Goldfinger, right? If, <laughs> right? if it wasn't for him, because he, the next question was, he said, wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I remember thinking, well, yeah, this, that should be fun. Let's do that. Let's watch these people burn their feet off. And he goes, well, look, man, you can't see anything from way back here. You just just get in line and follow them. And eventually, when you get up there, you'll actually be able to see it. <laughs> All right. Did he trick me? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Did I get in line? Yeah. So I'm in line, right? And I'm kind of moving along. And now people are actually, they're already walking, right? Everybody's walking. People are chanting. They're clapping their hands. The drums are going off. People are screaming and yelling in the celebration end. Because when they get to the end, they're celebrating like crazy. And they're just screaming and yelling. And it's, 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 on, it's a dog and pony show unlike anything you've ever seen or heard. And so I'm kind of standing in line, moving along. And all of a sudden, this guy comes up to me. And he whispers in my ear. And he said, he knows when you're ready. When he says go, you go. And pew, this guy disappeared into the night out of nowhere. And I'm like, who was that? What was that? What was where, that? Yeah. For, right. What? Where? When? What's going on? What was that about? So now I'm kind of walking along and all of a sudden I can't see in front of me. I got hundreds of people in front of me. Can't see a thing. It's dark. It's night. But I get to an angle. I can see at an angle. And Karen, they're doing it. Every race, every creed, every color, every age. And they're doing it. They're walking on fire. And my brain's going, you have got to be shitty. These people are out of their minds. Why are they doing this? What would they want to get out of this? What, you know, why? You know, metaphorically, what's going on here? And I'm mesmerized. I can't take my eyes off it. It's like, a, you know, you drive by a car wreck and you go, oh, we're not supposed to look at it. Then what do we do? We stare at it the whole time. Right. Well, that's what's going on here. I can't take my eyes off it. I'm in the zone. I am just, I am just you know, in a trance. And all of a sudden, I'm walking along, walking along. Boom. Guess where Davy Boy is? He's You're at the in line. I'm in the front of the line and I look down, Karen, and that lane that's three feet wide, 18 feet long with all those coals on are glowing bright red. And, and there's a wheelbarrow there and that's full of coals and you can feel the heat coming off of this thing. Well, my, I'm pretty sure my heart's going to jump out of my chest any second. It's pounding so hard, so fat. I am scared out of my mind. And so I'm just staring into the abyss. I'm staring at those coals. I'm staring at what I fear. And there's a trainer standing there. And all of a sudden he goes, eyes up. And poof, I raise my eyes. Well, duh. Oh, yeah, I'm staring at what I fear. What did Tony teach me? 10 hours in a room, snacks, you know, don't starve to death. Um, oh, yeah, keep your eyes up. Don't stare at what you fear. Mm. Stare to the other, other side, to the celebration. Mm. So now my eyes are up. And he said, squeeze your fist and say yes. And I went, yes. And he went, stronger. And I went, yes. Well, he could tell. I wasn't in a peak state. I was leaving a lot on the table. And he knew it. And he screamed at me <laughs> and he went stronger. And I threw my hands in the air and I screamed at the top of my lungs. Yes. And he goes, go, go, go. Pew. I took off. Well, 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 here's the first thing I learned about firewalking. When you take the first step, oh, you'll take the second, third, fourth, and fifth. Yeah. <laughs> right? You're not going to stop in the middle of that lane. It's not going to happen. Well, they position two people at the end and they lock arms to catch you. And so when you get to the end, they're so they, they catch you and they're like, stop, wipe your feet and celebrate. And I'm wiping my feet and I'm celebrating. And, uh, and all of a sudden I go, oh my gosh, I've burnt myself really, really bad. And, and, I, and I, I lift up my right foot and I look at it and it's dirty, but mm. there's no burns. Oh, wow. Right. I, I look at my other foot. No it's burns. dirty, too. It's filthy. But there's no burns. Hmm. And so I just walked across coals or a thousand degrees. I was successful at it. And I don't have a clue how I did it. Wow. Right. You ever done that? You ever do something really awesome? 
and and you don't know how you did it, but you're yes. just like taking credit for it. You're going, yep, that's right. That's this guy right here. I did yeah. that. Right? Yeah. And so I'm feeling exhilaration unlike I'd ever felt. I felt like, okay, guys, where's where's Everest? Let's go climb it. I mean, that's what you feel like. Yeah, that's so true. And here's the other part. When you're with 3,500 people, we're all feeling the same thing. So we're all feeding off each other's energy, right? So now your self-worth, your self-confidence, and your self-belief goes to an all-time high. People ask me all the time, so when you went home that night, did you wash your feet? I'm like, no. <laughs> I, I want to make sure I can on. prove I did it the, 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 you know, for the next week. Right. Well, but here's where it gets really, really interesting. Here's where it makes a really interesting turn was the next day. So let's remember, this is a four-day event. That was day one. That night was the firewalk. Now we're coming into day two. And we're in the foyer at the hotel getting ready to go into the venue. And you're standing in there with the same 3,500 people that were there with you last night. And I've never to this day seen anything so beautiful and so gorgeous in my life. Hmm. People were laughing. They were crying. They were emotional. They were hugging. They were touching each other. The, our, uh, the energy in that room was magnificent. And to this day, again, I've never felt anything like it hmm. other than a you know, another Tony Robbins seminar. Yeah. And so I'm asking myself, okay, well, all right. So I've never seen people get along like this humanistically. Right. And I'm like, so did the firewalk cause this? Is that what it did? Is this like a near death experience kind of a thing where we're, we're united for the rest of our lives and we're going to, you know, play full out and feel this kind of energy. And the answer is yep. And so that's what got me right. Yeah. Well, later in the event, I got to, I met one of Tony's trainers guy by the name of Ted Macy. Super, super great guy. In fact, him and his wife, Mary, are both trainers with Tony, or they were back in the day. And um, so I was talking to Ted, and we're talking about a bunch of things. And I remember mentioning, like, man, this must be really awesome to be in this environment when you can get yourself into it. And he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. He goes, and you want to do the same thing. He says, a matter of fact, you see all those people standing over there with those black shirts that has the pink writing on them? Yeah. He goes, they're volunteers. They're just like you. They came to a firewalk and wanted to come back and be part of this environment. And so here's what you can do, man. When you get home, call Robbins Research in San Diego and ask them for a crew member application. And they'll send you one. Fill it out, send it back, and then, you know, maybe you'll get lucky. And I did. And hmm. I filled it out. I sent it back. And like seven weeks later, I got a letter in the mail. And it said, Dave Albin, congratulations. You've been selected to crew with the Anthony Robbins Companies in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Oh, man. So there I am. I've got my foot in the door. And and so when you crew, you have to pay your own way. Yeah. Right? You got to pay your airfare and your hotel and your food, all of it. And so I guess within my application, they, they saw I had some qualifications that they liked. One was I had a military background and a security background. So they went, wow, he'd be perfect to put on the security team to help take care of Tony's celebrities, which mm. they did. He also is, lives on a farm. So he, you know, he knows how to use tools. He knows how to drive a tractor, these kinds of things, right? So they said he'd be perfect for the fire team as well. So this, mm -hmm. this guy's got some value here. And so they did both. They put me on the security team and they put me outside uh, on, the, on the fire building team. And then uh, a couple of months later, a few months later, they offered me a subcontractor's position, which meant that I went from paying my way to them paying my way. Nice. So, yeah, right. Instead of spending two grand, uh, yeah. you know, I was going for free and I got a little couple hundred bucks as a little salary, if you will. And that was in 95, 96, 96, I should say. And then in 2003, something magical happened. They pulled me in and Tony offered me the captain's position. Wow. Dave, I'd like you to take over all of my firewalks globally. And initially I said, well, I can't. And they're like, why? In like, we don't mind our asking. Well, because I homeschool my kids. Oh, shoot. We missed that. Well, what if we paid to have them travel? We'll just bring your family on the road. You homeschool them, right? Yeah. Well, why don't we bring them on the road? And you can homeschool them there. Would that work? And I'm like, well, yeah, that yeah. could definitely work. Sure. And in fact, uh, one of the girls that worked inside with Tony's office knew my wife. They went on a goddess retreat together. And uh, she called my wife and said, hey, don't, don't uh, David know that I told you this, but right now Tony Robbins is, is offering him the captain's position and he's probably going to be calling home any minute. But don't you dare tell him. I got to go. Bye. <laughs> right. And so um, my wife and kids knew what was going on. And sure enough, I called home because I wanted to check in with them and tell them what's going on and make sure that we were all 
all on the same page and we wanted to do it together as a family. And so as soon as I, like, I, it, it barely rings one time and my son picks it up. He's like nine years old at this point. And he's like, hello. I said, hey, Davey, what's going on? He goes, oh, not much, Dad. What's going on with you? (laughs) (laughs) Right. He knows what's going on. And I said, well, hey, I just came out of a meeting with Tony, and he's just offered to uh, send us on the road, and we can travel together, and I'll be his fire captain, and you guys will get to go with us if you want. Um, And I called to see what you guys think about that. And and Davey goes, you think, Dad? (laughs) Right? (laughs) And immediately he goes, so, Dad, where's our first event? And so I'm he, like, well, Sydney, in. Australia. Oh, shit. No, we're not. Damn it. Yeah. Like, you know, did we draw the short straw on right. that one or what? Damn it. We have to so fly we, far. And there it went. That yeah. was it. My That's life amazing. took a turn. Yeah. That was, at, oh, that was in 2003. 2005, we went to London. That's where we set the big one, the world record, 12,300 people. Wow. Um, and, I, and I want to disclose, Karen, uh, uh, Guinness was not there. So it's not documented. But here's yeah. what I can tell you. That's the biggest firewalk that's ever been done on our planet. Huh. Um, um, and so uh, that was in 05. And then in 2014, my life took another turn. Um, and I'm driving down the road. And my phone rings and it's Google. Hi, we're Google. Hey, Dave. You the Dave Alvin does the firewalk for Tony Robbins? Yeah, why? Well, we'd like to talk to you about hiring you if you're not under any contractual obligation or non-compete. Well, what's going on? Well, we have an event for 148 of our executives, and we want to create a really powerful uh, experience where we can anchor anchor it in. Okay. And so we started talking, and they ended up telling me that they wanted to do the firewalk in the middle of the day. And I said, ain't going to happen. I don't do firewalks in the middle of the day. I got to do them at night. The only way I can control those calls, I got to see them. And so there's too many things that can go wrong in the day. I can't do that. I tell you what I could do. I could do a glass walk experience for you. And they went, "What? Like what? Walk it on broken glass?" Oof. Yeah, exactly. They go, "Ooh, tell us about that." Yeah, tell us. <laughs> so they they went for yeah. it. They went for it. Um, and that was in 2014. So I went back and told Tony that, you know, um, I'm being hired by Google, and uh, I love you, Tony. And he goes, "You're leaving, aren't you?" <laughs> yeah, I'm leaving, yeah. man. <clears throat> and you got a whole bunch of people out there that have been working with me that can take over for me. So you're good. You don't need me anymore. You really yeah. don't. And then the next thing I know, I was back at Google again. And then the next thing I know, I'm at NASA, nice. Notre Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, Remax, Heineken, Microsoft, the EO Corporation organization. Yep. Um, you know, the YMCA high schools, junior high schools, I ran the gamut, everything from junior high schools, doing events to Google. So Firewalk Productions was born in 2014. And then, um, you know, we've been, we've been going at it ever since. So, you know, you just, again, you just never know what's going to happen. So just keep moving forward and keep the positive intention in the right place. And, be opened and ready to go when the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, that's that's just it. Look at, I just want to bring us back to where we started in this conversation. And that was the chaos of the apartment, the the scratching of your back, the attention that you got, somebody loving you yes. to you loving you and being yes. open to what the universe could deliver. Fucking A, man. Dave Albin. (laughs) You know, um, I know. I get it. I acknowledge it every day. I'm one of the most blessed men on earth. Yes. And so I lead with gratitude. And I have been for a long time. I better. Yeah. (laughs) You 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 better. I got got friends that said, man, uh, to live the life you lived, I'll bitch slap you if you ever try, (laughs) you know. Uh, and, and 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 the great thing about that is, is that it's, it's, it's been like one of my top development characteristics, yeah. you know, my soup, my superpower um, yeah. is to show people how to take their life to another level and how to live an extraordinary life. Uh, because, you know, here's what we know. We know what doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. You're not going to sit on the porch and get things done. You're just not, uh, you don't become a Navy SEAL by sitting in a classroom. Classroom sometimes important. But no, they're going to put you, you know, just one of the many uh, experiences you're going to do is you're going to do the night swim off the coast of San Onofre. 
where there's about 30 different species of shark in the water and you're swimming there at two o'clock in the morning. Um, and so, you know, it's those kinds of experiences. Yeah. And so again, it, it goes back to the, it goes back to the firewalk. A firewalk can be one of the most profound experiences any human or group of humans can go through it. And when they go through it to collectively together, they all change together. Right. As the song would say. Yes. Um, and now I, I enhanced it. I took it to another level. Uh, I include the board break with, with our firewalks. Right. So I, I, I show them the martial arts move, right. You know, to break a board, with your bare hands, typically you have to join a martial arts, you know, studio, you, you know, when, when you're in the, in the dojo, you, you know, your sensei teaches you how to break a board every time you elevate in, in, a, in a belt with a belt, right? When you move from one belt to another. So you break it with your hands, you break it with your elbows, you break it with your, uh, you know, your foot or your knee or whatever. Well, here, what I do is I take the board break and I have them write something on front of the board that they mm -hmm. want to move towards. And then I have them write something on back of the board they want to move away from. Mm -hmm. And then I have them, here's where it gets really cool. And that is I have them write anybody's name on the board that they're in conflict with. In other words, if you, if forgiveness or reconciliation is part of that relationship, write their name on the board. It ends tonight. Stop carrying that shit around. Forgive them and move on. Nice. Just like I did, right? How powerful forgiveness is versus resentment. Um, and so I have them write their name, you know, those names on the board and then to create the rite of passage, this, uh, this is my favorite part. And that is I have them write anybody's name on the board that they've lost. Mm. So now it becomes ancestral. Mm. They break the board. I take them out to the firewalk. We do the firewalk. I bring them back, back around and they throw the board into the fire. Mm. And then we capture that on video and photographs and all that. And then they have that for the rest of your life. Wow. That, it, when you do that experience with a group of people, and maybe they haven't been getting along very well, I got yeah. news for you. They're going to get along the next day together. That's like right? shamanic in a way, you know? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah well, that's really cool. You, you know, because right now, more than any time in our planet's history, everybody's all pissed off because, eh, he wore a mask. He didn't get a vaccine. Right. Don't get a vaccine. I love Donald Trump. I hate Joe Biden. Oh, shut right. up already. Right. Stop. That's going to kill production. And any CEO knows that. Yeah. But if he doesn't fix it, he or she doesn't fix it, they got a problem because yeah. production's going to drop like a rock. And so if they're not getting along, that's on you, Mr. CEO. So mm -hmm. if you need to fix it, call me. I'll. I'll yeah, help you, I'll help you do that. <laughs> so you're still doing that today. You are yeah. people. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Typ typically, people call me one of three reasons. One, everything's going great. And they want to take it to the next level. Yeah. So they come, they write me a check and I go do it. Yep. Uh, or maybe things are, you know, they're kind of mediocre and they're not, they're not too bad. They're not too good, but they need to jumpstart. They need to get it moving. They call me then. Or they call me when it's a complete fucking meltdown. Yeah. Everything is falling apart. Shit's falling through. Everybody's screaming and yelling and they're, they're stealing. I mean, it's a mess. It's a car wreck, train wreck, and a plane crash all rolled into one. Yeah. So they come in and go, all right, Dave, here, we're going to write you a check. You go, you train them, you do the, 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 the whole dog and pony show and the talk and the board break and the, the firewalk and clean it up and hand them back to us. Yeah. Um, and now, again, and, and I've got the academy now, right? It's coming up in October. Uh, we've got, I had one person had to cancel yesterday. So we have one spot open up. We do nine people at a time. And so what they do there is they send somebody from their company or, you know, they're a CEO. Well, excuse me. They're an entrepreneur, business owner, trainer, coach, whatever. And they come to the Academy and I train them on all this stuff. So I train them with the firewalk, you know, and the board break and the arrow break and the glass walk and the, and the storytelling and, you know, how to start from scratch, how to never, how to not know how to do anything in a corporate team building environment and become an absolute corporate team building extraordinaire mm -hmm. in a week. So we've done that as well. Uh, but most companies, man, they're just like, look, come help me fix, fix this help. Yep. Um, and so the cool thing is that I get to custom design and custom fit the experience around their company. So their company mission statement or their vision, or yep. they're launching a new product or whatever it is. They just tell me what that is. And then we create the experience and the talk and the keynote around all that. And, and with the end game of, um, you know, dropping their boards into the fire um, at the end of the evening. One of the things that we do, I know this is audio, but maybe they can hear this. 
Yeah. What those are, it's a container of the calls. Uh, and so well, it's a little plastic container and we put a sticker on the front that says, you know, XYZ company. I firewalked with XYZ company mm. in, in 2023. So they have that and they can set it on their desk or their credenza or whatever and look at it every single day. <clears throat> so those are cool. That's cool. Um, it is very cool. Uh, we, you know, sometimes I get asked, so Dave, well, what happens if we get rained out? What happens if Firewalk isn't available uh, logistically, whatever? Um, then we come in and we do the glass walk. And then the other thing that I recommend with the glass walk is the arrow break. The arrow break is where you put the arrow here in the soft spot of your neck, and then you put the other end up against a wall, and then you step through and break that arrow. Yes. Yeah, shit is right. That's pretty spooky. It's really the only experience that we do where there is an illusion. What happens if that arrow pierces my trachea? Yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> so we love that. Uh, I love doing that one too, especially we love for that. <laughs> well, and here's what I love about it. I love I love to do it for women. Uh, and I say that because a lot of women have been abused, right? Mm. Especially women that have been abused. If they've been grabbed around the neck or choked out or some scumbag, whatever. Did something to them, that arrow break really, really helps uh, them push through that. Because mm. when you're pushing against that arrow, it hurts. Well, welcome to life. Mm -hmm. Life pushes back too. Yeah. And 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 you know, and again, I've 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 walked many women through that process, and that was exactly what happened to them. They were in some kind of relationship where there was abuse going on, and a man grabbed them around the neck and tried to choke them or whatever. And getting them through that arrow break is a phenomenal, phenomenal mm. breakthrough for them. So we combine that. Men too. Don't get me wrong. It, it, you know, when you put that neck, when you put that arrow in your neck and you put it up against the wall, and it's your turn to step through and break it, it's uh, it's quite a you know eye-opening fight or flight yeah. situation. Yeah, that sounds uh sounds <laughs> painful, but I get coming out on the other side of it. I understand. Tell me this, what has been most helpful for you being here in the Trauma Hiders Club? Well, you know, before we started, you and I had a really wonderful conversation. And so you and I, even though this is the first time we've ever met, when you pushed record, I felt like I had known you my entire life. Yeah. And so thank you for um, getting us, you know, in a place where there was a lot of rapport, there was a lot of trust and that we could, you know, present this organically so that your audience would really benefit from it. So that's on you. Yeah. So what I'm saying is I'm blaming you consciously, okay? <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Absolutely. Awesome. That's great. That's great. I really appreciate you being here. What I really love about this conversation is I love to be in the presence of an opportunity seeker who is self-aware and open to experience. And really what's very special about you is your acknowledgement of oh. your own humanity. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you. My, my pleasure. Um, yeah. You know, I believe AA taught me a, one of the most valuable lessons of my entire life. And that is, um, you know, you help enough people get what they want in life and the payback on that is you'll get what you want in life. Right. Um, you know, in the preamble of AA, it says, um, when anyone anywhere reaches out, I want the hand of AA to be there. And for that, I am responsible. And I love that. And I love that to this day. And I, I, that's my creed. I live by that. And, and the benefits that I've received from helping other alcoholics achieve sobriety who, you know, without somebody like us in the program, they're probably not going to make it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have made it. That's There's right. No you wouldn't have. No. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I was I was on the edge and I was really close. Yeah. And yet the beauty is, is that, you know, the universe had a really interesting plan for me. And um, I think that, you know, in my life, the best the best is yet to come. Um, I just had my second grandchild. Uh, so Charlotte Ray was born on Good Friday and her brother uh, who just turned six. And so that's the sweet spot in life. I think there that's why go. they I think that's why they call them the golden years. That's right. And um, so to be able to come on here in a podcast like this and, and uh, you know, who knows someday that my granddaughter is going to be listening to your podcast somewhere and 
go, oh my God, that's my grandpa. That's right. <laughs> right? That's right. This, this gets to <clears throat> right? live on. How special yeah. is that? That's yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. you know, get out there and share your story. Somebody yep. needs, somebody needs to hear it. Somebody will benefit. That's right. I don't like, I don't necessarily like getting up here and talking about all that, but, the, but the bottom line is, you know, it's okay because you know, what I've learned, Karen, is that people don't care how successful you are, or what you want to talk about that, any of that. They could care less. You know what they want to, you know what they want to hear and they want, want to learn from, they want to hear about your struggles and how you overcame them. Because I, I believe that, you know, the two most important times of somebody's life is the moment they're born and the moment they figure out why. Yeah. And one of my one of my mentors told me something one time I've never forgot. I live by it to this day. And he said, you know, every human has two lives. And the second one starts when you realize you have only one. So true. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.